food, it's trashy, it ain't too classy, it's Hangover Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mark Zolo here, a.k.a. The Naughty Nomad, coming at you from New York City. Taking over this episode of Hangover Radio from my man Dom. Dom's in uh, Uganda at the minute, he's a little busy, couldn't make it today. As some of you guys may know, he's in Uganda at the moment. And sadly, I couldn't get in touch with him in time for the interview. He is presumed bedridden with malaria and or AIDS. You'll be in our prayers, Dom. You'll be in our prayers. So today, we have a very special guest, author of Sex 3.0, a book that got to number one on Amazon for human sexuality. A while back, I actually met the author, JJ Roberts, in Cuba, and we end up traveling around the island for a little bit. And uh, I must admit, the guy has game. He doesn't just uh, talk the talk, he walks the walk. On today's episode, we talk sex, Latin America, and JJ's latest project, unfencedrelationships.com, which offers two hours of free video material that JJ has spent the last two years developing. I'd also just like to throw in a quick thank you to our sponsor, divorcefieldguide.com. So without further ado, JJ Roberts, welcome to the show. JJ Roberts, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. So, JJ, what you been up to? Um, been working on the follow-up to uh, the book Sex 3.0, which is not going to be another book. It's um, it's actually going to be a six-week online video course uh, on how to do unfenced relationships. That sounds awesome, man. Um, where are you at the minute? Uh, right now, I'm in London. You're in London. Uh, so, where where were you before that? Uh, I've been living in Spain for like the last three months in Seville. Why? Why Seville? Ah, oh, it's a beautiful city. I went there once when I was about twenty-three, twenty-four, and I was just there for three days. And it was one of those places. You know, sometimes you go to a city and you're like, "Yeah, three days is enough." And then sometimes you're thinking, "Well, that was really nice. I'd like to go back." And there's a few cities that you go through and you think, "I'd actually quite like to live here." Yeah. And Seville was definitely one of them, and I never did it. I never went back and actually lived there. So um, April in Seville is uh, the month of the festivals. There's two huge festivals, uh, only about two and a half, three weeks apart. So, yeah, April's a great time to be in Seville. And uh, you were hanging out in Mexico for a while back. Yeah, I lived in Mexico. Before that, I lived in Panama uh, for about three or four months, and before that, in Mexico for six months. Uh, how does Panama compare to Mexico? Um, totally different culture. I mean, I lived in... Um... Sorry, just to interrupt here, guys. Um, you might not know this, but JJ is a very, very well-traveled man. Uh, how many countries have you been to? I've been to about half of them, about 100. Yeah, so like uh, some serious shit. I mean, i got so <laughs> many questions. Like Before we, we move on to what your latest project, um, I'd love to ask you a few. So, like, so as I was saying, how does Mexico compare to Panama, for example? Um, well, the place I lived in Panama is a place called Bocas del Toro, and that's uh, it's kind of a huge archipelago, lots and lots of tiny little islands with uh, boats that zip between them for like boat taxis for you take for like a dollar or two dollars. Um, so it's not really like uh, many other places on Earth. There isn't anywhere like that in Mexico. Uh, when I was living in Mexico, I was actually living in Guadalajara. I was living in, that's like the third biggest city in the whole of Mexico. So it's, uh, it's a really nice, large Mexican city, probably right. the most Mexican city. I saw some of your Guadalajara girlfriends. You're doing well for yourself over there. Oh, thanks. 
Um, so uh, like, okay, I'm thinking of doing a trip through Central America um, mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Do you have any recommendations? Central America, I didn't actually know that well. I mean, Mexico technically is North America. So Central America, the only bits I saw was uh, Panama. I saw three different, three, four different cities in Panama and I traveled around Costa Rica. So those are the only two countries in Central America I've been to. Costa Rica is the most expensive country in in Central America. Yeah, I hear Belize is uh, pretty bad as well. And Mexico, actually. Costa Rica is more expensive than Mexico? Yeah, I think Costa Rica is the most expensive one, but uh, you can't really compare Belize from what I've heard about it to Costa Rica because there is actually quite a lot to see and do in Costa Rica, uh, particularly once you get out of the big cities. A lot of the, uh, e- there's a lot of ecotourism going on in Costa Rica. And right. co- the coffee plantations and the mountains, there's actually a mountain you can stand on and on a clear day you can see both the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean at the same time. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, where do you recommend to go in Mexico? Um, well, Guadalajara is my favorite city, which is why I spent my time there. Uh, I'm usually um, the Bocas del Toro thing was quite a change for me because I'm usually a pretty big city guy. I prefer the big cities. Um, if you like something smaller, probably uh, the best smaller sized place in uh, Mexico I'd recommend is Guanajuato. Guanajuato. Yeah, that's actually not that far from Guadalajara. I think it's a couple of hours. And it's a really small town, so it's really walkable. There's a lot of beautiful architecture, and uh, there's a really big uh, university there. So there's a, you know, the nightlife is for a small town is actually pretty good. Oh, cool. Um, and in in general, just uh, for people who are interested in travel, what has been your like favorite country, your favorite place when you traveled, or your top three favorite places? Um. I don't really have a favorite. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a local neighborhood ice cream bar, they only serve three flavors of ice cream. It's really, really easy to have a favorite. But when they serve 200 flavors of ice cream, it's it's you can't have a favorite. It just depends on what you're in the mood for. I'm, I'm going to use that because I get asked that question all the time. And, um, yeah, that's that's a pretty good analogy. Do you, do you not have a favorite either? I, well, I, I do... When people ask me that, I get asked it all the time. I usually say uh, Ethiopia or Philippines because mm-hmm. um, I can just talk for hours about it, you know. Um, but as I said, variety is the spice of life um, with with everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have a few yeah, a few favorite spots. I guess it depends on the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but what what sticks out for you? Is there anyone that, any places that kind of just off the top of your head stick out? Yeah, I mean, there's... Um if it's you like picture postcard perfect kind of stuff i mean if you type bocas del toro into google image search you'll see it and it's like it's literally picture postcard perfect um there's another place another marine archipelago if that if that's your kind of thing in venezuela called los roques which is uh, a group of islands about 50 kilometers off the north coast of venezuela you you got a, had some trouble with the police in venezuela i believe uh <laughs> Yeah, that's actually kind of a funny story. Uh, it doesn't sound like a funny story because it started off with them. They stopped me. I walked out of my hotel literally middle of the day, like 12 noon, and I was staying in, you know, a, there isn't really a nice part of Caracas, i got to be honest. Places are shithole. But... What, are the, what are the women like? <laughs> uh, oh, the women are stunning. What's um, better, Colombia or Venezuela? For the... Have you been to Colombia? Yeah, you have, yeah. I used to live in Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> um 
in terms of ethnically, they're actually very, very similar. And uh, Colombia and Venezuela uh, used to be the set part of the same country, a country called uh, Gran Colombia. Oh, did not know that. Uh, Colombia, Venezuela, uh, I think Ecuador and Panama, those four countries were all the same country. Fascinating. Um, yeah, they were all called Gran Colombia um, under Columbus, but it became too big to govern, so they split it up into those four countries. So between Colombia and Venezuela, uh, I'd say ethnically the women are very, very similar looking, but um, if you're going to choose one of those two countries, then I'd definitely say Colombia because the um, the political situation in Venezuela, even doing something simple like getting hold of money in Venezuela, you have to take – uh, hard currency with you and change it on the black market because if you get money out of banks at the official rate, it, there's like a 50% difference, which is ridiculous. I, I actually bumped into some poor Irish guys, tourists, when I was in Venezuela who didn't know that. And they were literally paying 100% more for absolutely everything compared to me. <laughs> and they, they, they were complaining how how expensive Venezuela is. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's cheap. But no, they were literally paying double for their hotel, for their travel, for their adventure tours, for their beer, for their food. Like literally they were paying twice what I was paying. Wait, wait, how do you get the money in the black market? Is it pretty simple? Yeah, I mean you take uh, dollars or pounds sterling or euros and um, to see what the uh, the correct rate of exchange is, you just type uh, Venezuela FX into Google. Because uh, the the price of it literally changes every day, and then you just um, when you're in any major city, just go to anywhere that has uh, the signs. You know the the I buy gold here signs. Uh huh. Yeah. The pawn shops. Yeah, yeah. Which in Spanish is uh, compro oro. So basically, anywhere that has a sign that says that will um, will do you the exchange of the money at the correct rate. And pro the, tip, dude. That's a pro yeah. tip. <clears throat> The only other country in the world I know that has the same problem is Argentina. Again, there's two rates of exchanges down there, so you'd never use the official rate. Just take your cash with you. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's actually a few places like that I've been to in Africa and stuff. Um, a question. So what, tell us what happened with this uh, police officer in Venezuela. Oh, Essentially, the, there was three cops. They had a little uh, temporary little tent and a plastic table and chair set up on this street corner, like less than 100 meters from my hotel. So I walk out the hotel. I'm walking out looking for a place to get some breakfast. And uh, they stopped me and searched me, made me empty my pockets out onto the table. And as uh, one of the cops is going through my wallet, he's palmed uh, some pills in his hand before he's gone to search my wallet. And then he opens his palm and he goes, oh, what's this? We just found this in your wallet. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, you didn't. It's like, yeah, we did. It was right in here in this little pocket inside your wallet. And every time I denied it, he just – he pretended to be angry. He was obviously going through this whole act because he knows very well that they, they were in the palm of his hand the entire time. So he's he's doing this like pretend um, fury, getting angry and angry. He, he ends up handcuffing me. I'm sat down on the chair with literally my my hands handcuffed behind my back, and he's saying, "So you calling me a liar? Are you saying I'm stupid?" And just getting angrier and angrier and angrier to the point where he's like punching his uh, his own palm with his fist 
standing over me while I've lit, you know, I've got my hands behind my back cuffed. And, you know, he's asking me things. None of the police officers spoke English, so this entire conversation is in Spanish. And he's asking me things like, uh, have you ever been to a Venezuelan prison? I'm like, no. <laughs> he's like, you want to go? I'm like, no, not really. But, I, you know, I'm answering him like this. He's looking for fear because the more and more fear that he sees, he, he knows the more and more money that he can ask for in the bribe. And... I know, I know, and he knows that that what well, that's you know that's what this little game is. That's what this is all about. And I was actually on the way to meet a, a Venezuelan friend, uh, a guy for uh, for a beer. And this goes on for forty five minutes. This conversation with the police. So obviously I'm late, and this guy calls me on my mobile. And <clears throat> actually I'm skipping ahead a bit. One of the things I had in my wallet was uh, a press pass. A journalist press pass card with my photo on it, and like I said, this cop he didn't um, he didn't understand English, so he's like, "What does it mean, journalist?" And I translate it for him. It's uh, periodista is the Spanish word for journalist. So I say, "Soy periodista," and then I say to him, "Yeah, I'm here to write I'm here to write nice things about your country, about Venezuela, but right now I'm not sure that's possible. Maybe I should write about you instead." And he didn't like that, <laughs> but he uh, he got the idea. He got the point. And he's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be so threatening to this guy. So he actually took the handcuffs off, and he stopped being so threatening. But he still wanted his bribe. So eventually, this uh, this Venezuelan friend of mine he calls me on my mobile, and without asking for permission, that my phone was still on the table. I just picked up the phone and answered it, and I started talking to him in English so the cops couldn't understand. And um, I said to him, yeah, I've been stopped by police. They planted drugs in my wallet. Uh, just, I just told them I'm a journalist. Uh, I'm going to hand you over the phone and just tell them the same thing. And so my Venezuelan friend says, uh, talks to the policeman and says, yeah, this guy's a journalist. Why are you hustling him? Why are you bothering him? Uh, he's supposed to be meeting me right now for a beer. And I, he says to the cop, you know, I've got friends here in the army. Do I need to get them involved in this? And eventually the, the cop gets the picture. He's like, okay. I, he wasn't getting any fear from me at all. He at one point said, okay, we go to the police station. And I said, no, we don't. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm the police. If I say we go to the police station, we go to the police station. And I said, no, you're state police. Because in Venezuela, they have state police and they have tourist police. There's two different kinds of police. And I said, I'm a foreigner. If you want me go to go to the police station, we need to get the tourist police here right now. He's like, oh, but that'll take so long. It'll take like an hour for them to get here. And I'm like, I said to the guy, I'll wait. I'm not going anywhere with you. And eventually he just got the he just got to the point where he's like, okay, maybe I should pick on someone who's actually scared and who doesn't speak Spanish and who doesn't have Venezuelan friends. So he said <laughs> he said, okay, you can pick up you can pick up your things, you can go. And he literally didn't get it he didn't get a penny out of me. The, the, that sounds kind of scary, but the, the thing that was going through my head this whole time because the whole thing was in Spanish was, oh, I get to practice my Spanish now. <laughs> so, so I was being really positive about it and the funny thing is that um, when the cops approached me initially to stop me all three of them are just walking out of McDonald's 
with the you know their happy meals in the paper bags and because they decided to interrogate me and said they couldn't eat at the same time so literally the only thing they got out of it was three cold mcdonald's meals <laughs> oh nice and i got to practice my spanish yeah well <laughs> that's a very positive outlook jj very positive outlook yeah so yeah venezuela's is dodgy as fuck oh. and and even trying to get hold of money is a hassle so yeah in, if if you if girls is your criteria and you're comparing the two uh, they look the same in Colombia. Just go there. It's easier. Right. So, anyway, so tell us about this new project. You you have uh, four videos that people can see online. They're like all 30 minutes long. Guys, you should definitely check these out. They're free. Where can, where can we find them, JJ? Um, you can try unfencedrelationships.com um, or lovewithoutcontrol.com. Both of those will work. They'll They'll take you to the same website. Uh, if anyone's interested in introduction into unfenced relationships and how to manage them and all that kind of thing, you should definitely check them out. They're 30 minutes long, four videos, they're free, uh, very educational and completely uh, engaging. Um, you'll learn a lot from them, so I reckon you go there as soon as this um, interview is over. But to tell us more about you. You're giving away these four free videos and you put, must have put like months of work into it. There's so much detail like it's in there. And there's more. You're, you're, what's the story with this six weeks thing you're, you're offering? You're, you're, t- you're basically teaching people how to live this lifestyle. Because, like, Sex 3.0, your book explains explains what Sex Point Three Zero is mm-hmm. and explains the 2.0 model. But what's what's missing there is that the how to, the next step. And this is this is what. Um, your your next project covers right yeah essentially the in the book sex 3.0 that was kind of like a blueprint for uh, sort of uh, a different kind a different way of uh, relating one a blueprint that solved lots of different problems one of the problems it solved is, is it actually gives you access to uh, ultras unfenced long-term relationships but it's kind of like when you have a blueprint for a house owning a blueprint for a house is not the same thing as owning a house you still have to build it so, like, I mean, I, I, before we get into it, um, I, what do you think about this? So, like, I mean, I mean, I'm in the, I'm writing, I'm considered a manosphere writer. What do you think of the whole uh, promotion of like the nuclear family and, and that kind of concept that be, starting to become popular in the manosphere? I mean, the manosphere is supposed to stand, you know, the whole red pill thing, truth mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, and and kind of like this is almost like this division when it comes to sexual relationships. At one at one side of the spectrum, you know, men recognize that monogamy is not natural. Yeah. But then on then you have guys who still promote the whole idea of the nuclear family and very much two point zero still. You know. Mm-hmm. What what do you, what do you think of that paradox? Why do you think that exists? Um, essentially because the society that we're born into, um, which I call 2.0, we're given, um, we're given a level of consciousness. There's very few things that unite all human beings on the planet, but two of the big ones are consciousness, we're all conscious human beings, and sexuality, we're all sexual human beings. But essentially what I teach is you can have a level of consciousness about sexuality. And the level of consciousness that we're given by default by society, 2.0, is a very, very, very low level of consciousness. And the unfortunate thing is that we get a lifetime, everybody, all of us, including me, 
gets a lifetime of um, indoctrinating into 2.0. We're, you know, we're submerged in this 2.0 consciousness the entire time. And it takes a lot to, you know, to deprogram that, to, to get rid of um, all of those 2.0 ideas. For In terms of family, which is what your initial question was, for almost all of human history, human beings lived in tribes of nomadic hunter-gatherers. And our circle of empathy, our family, in other words, all the people that we cared about and who cared about us was basically everyone in the tribe. So our circle of empathy, you know, by default is quite large. And it's only when we moved to, you know, to marriage and we were told we have to shrink our circle of empathy to only our immediate blood relatives plus the one person that we're fucking. That's under 2.0. You're told, you know, the nuclear family is the be-all and end-all and, you know, that's your circle of empathy now. And, you know, that's just part of the – that's just part of the move from 1.0 to 2.0. And it's a very – it's a very fear-based way of living essentially. It's a very fear-based way of um, having relationships including including you know, family relationships. How do you manage jealousy? Um, you don't manage jealousy. It's something that it's it's not really part of. Um, if you're 3.0 and you're unfenced, um, it's not something that you manage or that you control. It just doesn't exist in unfenced relationships. But, but do you think this is because this is I've read Sex at Dawn and I've read your book and I've read several books on liberal sexuality. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100 percent convinced that jealousy isn't a natural emotion i do think it is a natural emo- i know you say it's a, like it's a combination of envy and fear of loss mm-hmm. but um it's such a visceral emotion so are, are you saying that jealousy is not natural i'm saying jealousy is a learned behavior and it can be unlearned all right do you want it's, to elaborate? A, it's certainly something i would say there's a difference between what is natural and what is normal and is jealousy natural no is jealousy normal absolutely it is unfortunately it's it is absolutely normal, and it's very, very widespread, and it's there for a reason. So you don't you don't buy the whole paternity concern uh, concept that we we are you know possessive because we want to continue our you know genetic lineage, and we make guard for that purpose. I think a lot of people confuse the whole uh, jealousy thing in terms of um, territoriality. Territoriality is natural. You only need to turn on National Geographic and watch a nature documentary to see that. But territoriality um, is not the same thing as jealousy. All, cre- all creatures, regardless of whether it's you know you're watching a nature documentary or you're talking about human beings, all creatures will fight for survival resources when there is a scarcity of survival resources. If you took 10 human beings and you put them in a prison cell – and you only threw enough food into the cell for one person, don't you think they're going to fight over the food? Of course they are. You haven't really given them a choice. And there will be competition over survival resources in nature, whether that's uh, food or water or shelter or mating opportunities. Those are all survival resources. And given a scarcity of any survival resource, there will always be competition and there will always be territoriality. But that's not the same thing as jealousy. Tell us, what is this course about? Um, Essentially, it's about uh, how to have what I call uh, ultras, how to have access to ultras, which is ultra is short for unfenced long-term relationships. 
Now, you might think that the most obvious thing is you might think, well, if I wanted to have um, non-exclusive relationships and multiple non-exclusive relationships, that's easy. I'll just tell women I'm not interested in dating exclusively right now. And I'm telling you, if that's what you're doing, then not only are we not on the same page, we're not even on the same book because if that's what you're doing, you're not getting access to ultras. You're not getting access to unfenced long-term relationships. What you're doing is you're getting access to the uh, short-term dating market. And one of the problems with that is that there's a really, really high turnover in the short-term dating market. Essentially, that'll work for a short period of time until you know it runs its course or until she finds someone she wants to settle down with. And then you're back to square one again. So you're you're constantly having to go back to square one and start from scratch again, which is really frustrating. Unfenced long-term relationships are essentially about how to have as many relationships as you want in parallel that last for months, years, or potentially decades. Of the relationships that I've got right now, I've been doing unfenced relationships uh, exclusively, in other words, these are the only kinds of relationships that I do. And I've been like this for about 14 years now. And of the relationships that I have currently, the uh, the longest one is 14 years. Like literally the first relationship that I, when I first started um, living like this. Uh, I still have that relationship right now. And I have other relationships that have been going for more than 10 years. And the most recent one uh, for less than a month. So and everything in between, you know, two years, five years, seven years. So essentially, it's about oh. it's about it's about having multiple relationships at the same time and basically just never breaking up with anyone. Because if you do that, then all that happens is you end up with more and more options in your life. You're seeing a girl, right? And you really, really like her. And you explain your your concept of sexuality and i've done this as well now what mm-hmm. what happens when you come across a girl who who re- even reads the material and just no they just they they're they're not with it and they, they refuse to be part of it um there's <clears throat> one of the nice things about having the initial conversation is that not only is it a skill but it's a teachable and trainable skill and it's such an important skill that basically there's one entire module in this course, completely dedicated just to that topic, including covering every single possible objection that I could think of. Uh, all of those are covered, and how to have the initial conversation and the entire structure of it is broken down. I've set it out in such a way that essentially you can have that conversation. It takes literally 25 minutes, and you can have it in any kind of uh, a social environment over a coffee or a beer, and it takes no longer than 25 minutes. Ooh, sounds interesting. What what is it that um that you do? What's your what's your mode of operation at the moment? Um, well, like to be honest, a lot of it I I got from you yourself. Uh, well, I I sit down and have I'd almost explain the sex three point zero the you know condensed into twenty minutes uh-huh. and uh, get feedback. Like I'm you know eighty to ninety percent of the time it the uh, it works. But, the, you know, you do get, it's rare now, but you do get the odd uh, hopeless romantic who just doesn't give up on her uh, Disney idea of relationships. 
well, no this... matter how much information you throw at her. It almost like you're almost like you're trying to convince, you know, a uh, devout Christian or Muslim um, <laughs> to be an atheist. You know, there's kind of this just refusal um, to believe the facts, you know. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The um, If you take a look at um, what I talk about in terms of how to have the initial conversation, essentially there's only three ways of going about it. Number one is you can ask permission. Uh, number two is you can um, make a statement. Or number three is you can make a demand. So an example of asking a question would be, uh, is it okay if we see other people? Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no That's, way. No, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not. I'm not talking to you when I'm saying this. I'm talking to yeah. your listeners because I know that I know you. I know you'd never do that. So um, asking a question is a no, no. That's weak source. Asking permission. Uh, number two, uh, making a statement. That's uh, and number three is making a demand. So making a demand might be something like, "Well, look, that's the way it is, and it's my way or the highway. If you don't like it, there's the door." And that's actually better than asking permission and asking a question. But at the same time, you know, talking to someone like that is it's not particularly respectful. The third way to, is to make a statement, and that's essentially you just you laying your cards out on the table and saying, "You know, this is the way I am." You're welcome to be with me. And the point I'm trying to get across is that um, you should never try to convince anybody of anything. Um, I don't do that in any of the way I teach. I don't do that in the book. I don't do that in the video course. It's not your job to convince anybody of anything. And getting good at having the initial conversation um, is not only a teachable skill, but my refusal rate – do you say like it's 80%? Like twenty percent refusal, eighty percent okay with you? Is oh, I've ninety, ninety, ten, ninety, ten. So ninety percent uh, go for it, and ten percent say so you no. Know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I said most of the stuff. Uh, I've, I mean, we've had long, extensive chats about this, and I've, I've, uh, you've kind of uh, coached me through it. Um, I must say, your your methods definitely work, and uh, it'd be interesting to see now that you've honed it and you've kind of. You know, perfected it. What, what, what kind is in there? Yeah, the ninety um, percent acceptance rate is high. My um, my refusal rate is actually zero percent in the last fourteen years, and that's to me. I was not expecting that at all. That's totally counterintuitive because when I first started um, doing unfenced relationships, um, the obvious question is, where do you go to find women that are already three point zero and unfenced? And the answer to that question is you don't. If you're out there looking for women who are already, you know, 3.0 and unfenced in their their mentality, and um, they're totally, you know, with the program already on this, you're you're hunting unicorns. That's not a good strategy. That's not a good strategy for for dating or for looking for relationships. Pretty much every single one of my girlfriends, when I met them, they were 2.0. And almost none of them had had unfenced relationships before. And they learned about it just by being with me. And the reason why the, um, the refusal rate is so, is so low is because um, not only, obviously, I'm good at explaining it, you know, I'm the guy that wrote the book. But when, when you explain it properly, women understand that if what they're looking for is a conventional 2.0 fenced relationship, then that's fine. If women tell me that's what they're looking for, I'll say, great, I'll help you find one. It's not going to be with me. 
because I don't offer that. But they understand that they can have an unfenced relationship with you in the meantime while they're looking because you're not interested in interfering in any way if that's genuinely what they're looking for and that's what they think will make them happy then that's fine and they should go for that. And in the meantime, they can have an unfenced relationship with you because you're not interested in, um, you're not interested in getting the way, getting in the way or stopping them from seeing anyone else. So there's literally no reason why they would say no. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you play it? Like, um, what, okay, let's say you're, you're going out for a point with a girl and another girl you're seeing, you know, gives you a phone call or, like, what's the kind of what kind of etiquette have you developed to you know sh- show respect um, to the women you're seeing? You know what I mean? Um, well, the key thing really there is presence. If you saw me, let's say if you didn't know me, but if you saw me out at a bar or um, at a gig with one of my girlfriends, I would not look any different in terms of my way of behaving with her than any any other conventional boyfriend girlfriend or you know even husband and wife um the really key thing is presence you have to be 100% present with the person you're with or with the two girlfriends you're with if you've managed to arrange that <laughs> and um yeah i mean if i'm with someone my attention and my focus is 100% with them you know presuming that i've not just randomly bumped into them presuming we've set aside time yeah. you know to go out and see this gig and have a drink or maybe go and see a film then we've set a time we've set that aside both of us we've set aside time for each other to spend together and if that's what you've done you know i'm not going to do that and you know get a bit bored and then start um trying to see if I can take home the barmaid from the pub. That's That would be really disrespectful. <laughs> and uh, likewise, if she did a similar thing to me, I'd, I'd probably never speak to her again. Not because it has anything to do with jealousy or possessiveness. The issue is one of respect. That's, that's not a respectful way of behaving. So, yeah, I mean, um, I would say be 100% present. If, if I'm in that situation that which you just talked about and... Um, another girlfriend calls, you know, I'll probably let it go to voicemail. I'll just stay present with the person that I'm with. And, uh, like, do you find it difficult to... to is there a number that um, you, you, you know, find optimal for, for kind of having, like, a little harem or something? Or does it get to a, a stage where, you know, you have too many partners you can't designate enough time? Like, what do you find comfortable? Um... Well, I'm unusual in the sense that I – well, you know exactly how much I travel. Yeah, that, well, that's it. Like it, it, it. When you travel, it lends itself to that lifestyle big time. Yeah, but if, if – let's say if I had an office job and I lived in one city and I was in that one city for, say, 48 weeks a year or 50 weeks a year, which is you know not unusual for people, I would say probably about three or four. Yeah, yeah, me too. Three or is, four. is about optimal because you know if you've got seven or ten, you first of all you're not going to have any time for yourself. And you know I think having time for yourself and you know guys like hanging out with other guys and having guy conversations and you know drinking the beer and watching sports and you know some of my girlfriends like sports and some of them don't. Um, but yeah, having male friends is important. Having time to yourself is important. And, you know, I, I don't really want to be in a relationship if I'm in the if I'm in the same city, you know, I'd like to see, you know, anyone I'm seeing at least, you know, once a week. 
So unless unless you're really good at setting up the threesomes and the foursomes, and you can save time by <laughs> by doing that, then I would say yeah, probably three or four is optimum. Yeah. So so what I found is that women are far more accepting of ultras um, when you're a traveler. You know, when you travel like three to four months a year, mm-hmm. you know you're not going to be celibate. Um, well, it definitely helps in terms of um, training and getting used to it because. Uh, what I found, you know, back when, before, when I was in my 2.0 days and, you know, I was trying to do long distance relationships, long distance relationships that are fenced do not work at all. By the way, anyone who's listening, you probably know this already, but when you fence in your sexuality, you're doing it to the exclusion of everybody else on the entire planet, except one person. And then you geographically remove yourself from that one person. How's that going to work? It doesn't. And unfenced uh, unfenced long-term relationships, on the other hand, work absolutely brilliantly. They they work flawlessly. But one of the questions I get asked is, "Yeah, you know, this unfenced thing, this works for you, but you, you know, you travel a lot. Is you know, this the kind of kind of thing just for you know guys who are traveling a lot?" And um, the answer to the question is, I started exclusively doing unfenced relationships in 2001. I didn't take off on the round-the-world trip when I was writing and researching the book until 2009. So I was doing this for eight years before I took off and you know started doing the traveling lifestyle. So I've been living in one city and doing this, exclusively having unfenced relationships for more time than I've actually been traveling, um, which is why I said earlier – um, having, I would say, three or four, if you're living in one city, about three or four is pretty much uh, optimum, I find, in terms of the numbers. So, yeah, traveling can help and can be one aspect of it. Um, but this is something that I started doing and I got used to doing when I was living in one city. And I was having, you know, three or four girlfriends at any particular time. Have you have you ever been in love, JJ? Yes, I have, of course. Because I'm sure you get asked that a lot by girls. You just haven't found the right person yet. Somebody said that to me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. How do you how do you kind of how do you respond to that? Uh, the person who said that wasn't one of my girlfriends. I should point out. Um, essentially, there are if you value love, pe- people who people who say that kind of thing are basically accusing you of not valuing love. And my response to that is to say that if you value love, then you have to understand something. There's only three ways you can deal with it. You can spend it, you can gamble it, or you can invest it. Now, the people who are spending their time and their emotional energy are the people who are always going back to square one. In other words, the people who are saying, uh, I'm not interested in dating anyone exclusively right now. The people who are only getting access to the short-term dating market. Uh, those kind of people are, are spending. Uh, guys who are into the whole uh, pickup thing, you know, the, the self-described pickup artists, those guys are spending their emotional energy. And the curse of the pickup artist and... You're talking anybody- about, like, like I, think, I think a lot of guys go through this in their early 20s where they're basically trying to rack up the numbers. Yeah. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, they're spending. They're not right. investing. They're not gambling and they're not investing. They're just spending and they're having short-term relationships which... Uh, end after a matter of either weeks or months 
and they're constantly finding themselves back to square one again and having to start all over again from scratch. And uh, I went through that phase in my 20s too. We all know the feeling, you know, the feeling of having to go back to scratch and start from scratch again and, oh, my God, this sucks. And that's <laughs> that's, that's spending. Now, gambling, on the other hand, when you say to someone, okay, we're going to have a fenced relationship. Whether it's a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or a husband-wife relationship, doesn't matter. When you agree to a fenced relationship, you're making a bet. Both of you are making a bet with each other. You're saying, I'm going to bet you that between now and the day I die or the day you die, whichever comes first, not only am I not going to have sex with someone else ever, but neither are you. That's the bet. What are the stakes of the bet? Half your wealth? No, I'm the entire relationship. We could be just be talking about a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. You are gambling the entire relationship on that bet. That's a fucking insane bet. That's a gamble. These people are gambling. The only people who will gamble are those who value their own fear more than they value love. And the kind of people who make the comment, oh, you just haven't really been in love yet, those are the gamblers. Those are the people who value love so little, they're actually gambling with it by making this insane bet. An interesting way of uh, thinking about it. Yeah, it is, because that's exactly what they're doing. They're gambling their entire relationship. And the crazy thing about the bet, it is the only bet you will ever make in your life in which the cost of you losing the bet only goes up over time because you invest more weeks and months and eventually years into the relationship and maybe buy a house together and have kids, you're investing more and more and more and more as time goes on, which makes losing the bet more and more and more expensive as time goes on. And yet, at the same time, the odds of you losing the bet are only going up over time as well. That's insane! Yeah, it's a bad, it's a bad gamble, man. And if you say to your average woman, "Are you a gambler? Are you a reckless gambler?" Most of them will say no. So, well, why are you gambling, especially with something that you claim to value, which is love? These are the gamblers. So you've got the people who are spending, and who are always going back to square one. You've got the people who are gambling, and you have the people like me, the investors. When you invest, I never have that problem. I don't. I never have the problem that the gamblers have, and I used to back in you know in my twenties when I was you know doing the two point zero thing and doing whatever you know the conventional relationship thing. And what ended up happening is I had an ever expanding list of ex girlfriends. It was almost like a body count. It would just go up and up and up over time. And since I've been three point zero. And unfenced exclusively, what happens is the exact opposite. I just have more and more and more girlfriends. And I basically never split up with anyone. It's literally the exact opposite. And that's investing. And if you're smart, then investing is the only way you, you will spend your emotional energy and your love. And it's the, uh, it's the only winning move. It's the only winning way to uh, run your relationships. So don't spend, don't do the crazy gambling thing, invest. 
And, and what, what about the idea, right? If you invest, if you have a diverse portfolio, mm-hmm. um, it can be hard to develop connections sometimes. I mean, when you know, if you date too much people, yeah, um, you're not necessarily putting the time into into the relationships um, to you know, re- like you know, build a deep connection. Do you, do, you, do you have any? Do you have any? Um, do you have any like real, what you consider deep connections with women in your life? Like with any particular, uh, you know, two or three out of all the, the girls you've dated around the world or still keep in contact with. Is there any, like let's say two or three girls or one in particular that you feel you have like the deepest connection with? Well, I don't. I don't play the game of favorites, and uh, I don't. Unlike some of the people, like I know uh, some people who call themselves polyamorous are, are very much into the hierarchy and, oh, well, this is my primary partner and, you know, I've got a couple of secondary partners and um, I don't do that either. I don't play the game of favorites. I don't think organizing things in a hierarchy is particularly helpful. I don't do that with my friends either, so I don't understand why you would do that with your sexual partners unless it's to placate fear. Oh, yeah, he can have some other girls, but I know they're his secondaries. I'm his primary. That's just another way of uh, reinserting fear into your relationships. So, no, I don't play the game of favorites. In terms of does it actually limit your ability to make connections, I would say I would argue the exact opposite. It, it allows you to – it's it's a skill. It's something you practice, and like any anything else you practice, you get better and better at it. You get better and better at developing multi-dimensional um, connections with people. You can have in the in the course I talk about um, pure form relationships, and the four dimensions. Um, you can have like a one a one D relationship, which is a, a body connection, which is just a really solid sexual connection with someone. Uh, you can have mind. That's another dimension. And if you have both of those like a meeting of minds and really good sex life, then you have a, two, a two-dimensional relationship. And really good body and mind connections, those are valuable. There's actually four which I cover in the course. But you don't have to have um, – you can have any combination of the four with, with, any, of you, with any of your relationships. For example, uh, another one is uh, spirit connection, like if you really share the same uh, values – and you can have a really good body and spirit connection with someone and be less strong in the other two areas, and it's totally fine. You can have another woman who you you have a really strong uh, body connection and a mind connection with, but a spirit connection not so much, and it doesn't matter. It's you know the same way you have uh, you have solid connections with your friends, but in different ways. You know some friends you've just had for longer than. You know, other friends. You've been friends since you were kids, and if you've had, you know, if you have a new friend, you know, they can't replicate or compete with that. But that doesn't mean you can't have a, you know, a friend that you've known for six months and you're really good friends with. They're not, you know, they're not in competition with each other. They're not stopping each other from, um, from being part of your life. True that. And so uh, I want to break down what. Um, so what are you offering now in your new course? Like, what exactly is it? You know, what do people get? Um, well, there's it's a six-week course, six modules, so it's one module per week. 
what exactly they get is um, every single day for the entire six-week course, they get uh, at least one or two videos every day. Um, I every tried day for six every, weeks? Every single day for six weeks. Whoa. I try to keep it manageable because the course really is, you know, I'm going to assume that you have a job and you have friends and you have a love life and all of that takes time. So this is designed for, you know, the, av- you know, the average working person who... Um, who has a life and has friends and has girlfriends. So I try to keep the length of the videos down to sort of a manageable, you know, typical YouTube video, like 15, 20 minutes. And pretty much anyone can manage that um, every day. And, you know, if you have to skip a couple of days because I know you're doing a double shift at work, then you can come back and there'll just be two or three days worth of content waiting for you. It automatically unlocks over time. And... There's six modules. Module one is the primer, and I talk about um, how there's really only – although there's two kinds of relationships, there's three kinds of people. I break down what they are. I break down some – I break down why it is that some relationships are seen as legitimate and some not and what you can do about it. I introduce some key concepts like relationship duress and schizocardia, and I finish this module by covering why it is that – the two-point era that we're born into is dying right now and what the three-point era era is. Um, <clears throat> module two is ego, belief, and motivation. And we cover how the ego evolved and changed throughout human history and how and why that's relevant to human sexuality and our current societal programming. Take a look at how the belief system works, the difference between beliefs and ideas, and how that defines your personal sense of reality. And I, I, t- I look at the, the pyramid of consciousness, the six layers to that. I break down what they are. And we take a look at motivation, the two basic kinds of motivation, and how they relate to sexuality in modern society. And module three, core design and differences. In that, I totally break down the core design of sex 2.0 and deconstruct, model, uh, deconstruct modern relationships. And get to the bottom of the eternal question, why are relationships so damn difficult? And then I take a look at the core design of 3.0, contrast and compare the two. And also contrast and compare all of the differences between fenced relationships and unfenced relationships. Uh, Module 4 is called Breaking the Chains. And that's all about how you break free from the old system, how to break free from 2.0. And this is the module that I mentioned earlier. How do you have, how do you have that initial conversation when you're seeing when you're seeing someone? How do you have that conversation with your partners when you're dating? How do you introduce it in a simple way? How do you make it clear that having an unfenced relationship benefits both of you? And in this module, I cover all of the common objections that a partner might come up with about being in an unfenced relationship, um, any uh, common fears that you might come across and how to deal with it. Questions about <clears throat> questions like, you know, how can you still have security and at the same time have an unfenced relationship? You know, how do you respond if they say they're looking for something more serious? Or if they say, oh, well, if you really care about someone, then you don't want anyone else. All of those questions are covered in the fourth module. Uh, the fifth module is called Crossing the Divide. Now, that's about now that you've broken away from the old model, obviously we're not just going to let you drift because 
uh, a rejection of what is cannot be a solution in and of itself. So the old framework has to be replaced by the new one. So how do you cross that divide now that you're actually free? How do you move from 2.0 to 3.0? How do you move from fenced to unfenced? So in module five, we go into depth in the emotional and behavioral module. So all the work that we did in module one, all the way back in the primer, that's come, that really comes into fruition in module five. It's about essentially how do you really live unfenced relationships? And the final module, the final module, module six, is called Tearing Down the Fences. And <clears throat> that's about how you tear down every emotional and mental block that gets in your way. And the most obvious ones we've already talked about, jealousy and possessiveness, the twin-headed monster. How you completely destroy that? How do you have unfenced relationships? And you don't want to be in an unfenced relationships and have to manage, constantly manage your jealousy and possessiveness or someone else's jealousy and possessiveness. So essentially, pretty much all of Module 6 is how to do that and also how to completely destroy all of the social conditioning that stands in your way. And once you've got that covered, there is absolutely nothing stop you. There's nothing stopping you. And that's module six. I want it, dude. <laughs> Seriously, this sounds awesome. Um, there's also six free bonuses, but I talk about those in the, the, the videos, the four free videos on the website. So I, um, I won't talk about them here. I'll let people watch the videos. Yeah, you, you interview Christopher Ryan from Sexaton and, you know, a lot of um, people in the field of sexuality. It's... Uh, it's a re it's you put so much work into this course and it it's revolutionary it really is you are a sexual I've, revolutionary JJ I've been working on this for two years now I first started writing the scripts for all these videos two years ago when I was living in Budapest so yeah two two years of work guys that's unfencedrelationships.com uh, get on there as soon as this uh, podcast finished. What are your plans for the future, uh, JJ? Um, well, right now I'm working on um, obviously the launch for this. I've not really done anything like this before. Um, so right now I'm planning. I'm in the middle of the launch for this right now. And uh, I'm trying to trying to sell my flat in London, which is taking up a lot of Why? my time as well. Um, uh, freeing myself up. I don't really like owning stuff that much. But um, does not provide you with uh, like rental income? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably keep some money in the rental market, but yeah, I'm trying to sell my flat right now, so that's taking up a lot of my time. After that, in terms of future projects, um, launching the Spanish version of the book, Sex 3.0, Sexo 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you sound like a soccer commentator for some reason. Yeah, uh, that was that was actually translated a while ago, but I've not actually got around to officially launching it yet. And oh yeah, I should mention um, that the course Unfenced Relationships 30, 30 day 100% refund guarantee if you don't think it's the best thing you've ever seen on this subject in your life. 100% money back. Awesome. And are, are, you, are you planning after you uh, you settle up in the UK, uh, where are you off to next? Um, toying with a few ideas right now. I'm like I'm, I'm probably going to have to stick around in England until uh, I sell the flat. Uh, after that, possibly back to South America or 
toying with some ideas about Eastern Europe. So probably one or the other. That's awesome, man. Right, uh, JJ Roberts, thanks very much for coming on today and having a, having a chat. Guys, uh, check out lovewithoutcontrol.com or unfenceration.com to find out more information. Uh, how else can people get in touch with you, JJ? Um, either on Sex 3.0 website or on uh, the Unfenced Relationship website, there's a, a contact button up at the top. So you click on that and you can email me. Thanks for having me on. Not at all, not at all. Take care, JJ. Thanks, Mark. Adios. Adios.